Welcome to the Empathetic Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Matt Chanel from Refined Labs. Matt, it's really nice to have you on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Really excited. So tell me a bit about your role in uh, your company and what you do. Yeah, so I am a Director of Demand Generation for Refine Labs, which is a fully distributed marketing and advertising company based out of Boston, air quotes on that. But, um, but we basically run demand gen and demand capture programs for our clients, which are typically B2B software and SaaS companies, anywhere from a Series A to Series D, helping them run not just demand gen and growth marketing as a whole, but also doing a lot of work with them on conversion rate optimization, optimizing CRM and measurement, doing a lot of revenue R&D and helping develop new revenue generating programs for them through marketing or even through sales if direction suggests so. And uh, yeah, we're just full service, full funnel in that regard. That's awesome. So yeah, today's topic is demand generation and strategy and attribution and all that kind of stuff. So let's dive right in and talk about there's this concept of demand creation versus demand capture. I think this is getting a lot of attention today. What's your take on this? Creating demand, capturing demand, all that. Feels like this has been the way that marketers and increasingly even salespeople in sales at this point have been segmenting marketing as a function out for probably the better part of two-ish years. And I feel like it's starting to even seep outside of software. And now people in insurance or banking or whatever, like those sorts of teams are now thinking about customer acquisition and net new acquisition from a capturing and creation standpoint, which I think is really interesting. So my take is these things actually span across function and demand, especially demand capture is not just a marketing function. Like when you think about it, it's like, how do we acquire a customer and what's the intent or the tactics behind that? But you think about capture as sort of a function that spans across sales. Cause when you're cold calling or going outbound, you're literally trying to capture people who are in market. It's a, it can be a bit of a blunt force way to do it. You get a list from a third party vendor, you have a lead list and you're literally hoping that person's in market. And that's a, that, that in itself is a form of demand capture. It's not just something that's just a marketing function. And, and within marketing, you're talking about doing things like Google ads, product-based SEO, things like that, where you're finding people in market, searching for certain aspects of a solution. And then you are the solution that presents best, kind of answers the questions, creates the most answers the question like at that given time. And the person's at that point in demand capture is interesting because a lot of times when people are in demand capture mode, they're very much agnostic to brand, you know, because like they're literally just searching for compliance software or they're looking for cybersecurity solutions, but they're not necessarily thinking of a certain brand. They don't have one in mind. They don't have affinity. That's what demand capture in a sense is. It's this battle, this race to capture as much brand agnostic total adjustable market that exists. And then demand creation is trying to bypass the brand agnostic buyer and essentially create affinity for your brand through marketing and product. And even sales can participate in this as well by being the most valuable resource that exists in your market, giving the most compelling information, having the most unique point of view, saying the quiet things out loud. And when we get into demand creation, that really becomes about point of view, messaging, content strategy, distribution of said content, and it becomes very much a bigger kind of narrative overall. And so what you're trying to do with demand creation, and there's tons of tactics that go into it, but at the basic point of it, 
is you're trying to be the preferred vendor within the category. And I guess that goes to the point of like, before they can even have demand for your company, they actually have to have demand for your category. So before you can create demand for your brand, you have to create demand for your category. So you have to start with educating on the category and what you all do. And then at that point, they, you get in that set of brands and you want to be the preferred brand. And so you want to do the best job educating on said category, especially if it's a new category, because then you're getting into the whole thing of category creation, which is a huge undertaking and a huge effort. But that's how I would separate those two functions. I like that. We have a lot of SaaS applications that we use ourselves. And I know that exact, we need a new billing system and you throw the 10 vendors that you find in Googling and you just look at price and this and that, and there's no affinity for any of them. And you're like, all right, I'm going to buy that one. But I know in other cases, I've seen a lot of really creative content out there of a specific system. And it's like, all right, I need to go with these guys because I, I don't know, I feel they are really experts in this category and all that. Yeah. And even if you just break it down to like basic human function and intuition, most people are going to buy a software or a solution. It could be anything. It could be like a pair of shoes. Like they're going to buy what their friends or their colleagues recommend to them, or they're going to buy what they've used in the past, right? And have had success with. And so your job if you do not exist in either of those two consideration sets, you literally have to shift belief. And that's a hard thing to do. But that's the goal at that point. So you got to figure out how to do that. That's demand creation. In a nutshell, if you're not in one of those two groups, you do a better job than inertia of moving someone to a different direction. Absolutely. So yeah, companies really have this opportunity of creating demand in their category and educating around the problem and solutions and all that stuff and creating content. What are those channels that as a B2B company, you want to do this demand creation? I think a lot of this has to be premised on customer research in general. So it all starts with a hypothesis. And I was just listening to sales recall recordings before I got on this podcast with you because I, I was like, I wonder where this guy looks for stuff. And so if your sales team's doing a good job, they're asking this question of, well, how did you find out about us, right? But what you really can do for yourself, you can figure this question out by just putting self-reported attribution on your primary conversion paths, like your demo form or your pricing form or your contact us form or whatever it is you, you, whatever form it is that people use to initiate a conversation with your sales team, right? Use self-report attribution and people will tell you the answer. And if the answer is Google or internet, that probably tells you you're not doing a good job in social channels, like getting your message across whatsoever. And if it is Google, great. So we that's a place for us to start. But we can start with uh, paid search. We can start with SEO. But the other thing is like just doing research, talking to people, like not in a sales setting. Like, how do you get better at your job? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you have friends? Do you watch a YouTube series? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you that they do this or that. And that really helps decide channels for you. So I think it just comes down to talking to your customers, understanding where they're at, and then just doing the legwork of research, spinning up a like spinning up an audience on LinkedIn is really freaking easy. Targeting is almost table stakes. If you're going to do advertising or if you're going to do organic, even you can follow hashtags, stuff like that. But you have to look at emerging channels. One thing we're really into right now is like Reddit. Like Reddit is a crazy good channel for cybersecurity. It's just packed full of people in that space. And it's just, wow, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to get active on here. 
and active in terms of like, hey, we need to be active and giving value to this channel. We can't be sitting here bludgeoning them with like a product pitch. In terms of picking channels, it's just, it takes intuition, research, and just like taking a step back and not being biased towards a certain channel because you've had success in that in other industries before. So just have a level of curiosity and the channel really presents itself. I think a lot of marketers listening to this podcast are going to be in a position of maybe being new at their company, new in the category. The company's doing a lot of activities. There's obviously customers. Where do you start in that research? Start joining customer calls, uh, posting in groups. What do you do there? For me, it's definitely like if I can listen, we're a step removed from the company. So sometimes this isn't possible, right? But one of the first questions I ask is, do you guys have Chorus or do you guys have Gong or something like that? Like, I want to listen to customer calls. Can we do that? And so if they do, I'll do that and you get clues that way. But the other thing is just researching, like go to Reddit, look at different kinds of subreddits and seeing right, how many people are in this group, how many people are active at a given time, looking at looking within like LinkedIn and doing the same thing with those kind of with meta tags or hashtags and be like, okay, who talks about this? What do the groups look like? Are they large? Are they robust? Are they active? You, you have to, again, just use your intuition and just get your hands dirty in terms of audience research. Other tools you can use too. SparkToro is another great tool that I would say is great for looking at what channels should we be placing bets on here. And that's really how I think about deciding where to build, where to start not just from paid, but also organic. Cause like not every channel lends itself to organic or you have to think about it in certain ways. So Facebook is a great example, right? Facebook organic from your company page is just not even worth the effort anymore. It's so suppressed, but read the tea leaves, right? Facebook has obviously moved towards groups. You can even see it in their large scale advertising. And so if you want to be successful on Facebook, you need to do community building. And so you need to create a Facebook group. It needs to be non-branded. It needs to be something about your category. And you need to only have the interest of providing value and not selling anything. So you need to like, just take a, again, have curiosity, take a broader look at how people are buying and behaving in 2022, 2023 and beyond. And you have to orient your marketing strategy around it. You can't look at what HubSpot or Salesforce did five, 10 years ago and think that's going to work for you. They are, they're exceptions to the rule and you probably are not in a position to be an exception to the rule. Absolutely. So you do the research, you find your channels. What does that content creation actually look like? Are you creating a new version of ads? Is it educational content? What does it actually look like at the end of the day? So content strategy is something that we, that Refine Labs touch on. Like we definitely have, we have a lot of takes, a lot of opinion, a lot of best practice. Almost all of our business comes from LinkedIn organic or podcasting. It's crazy. We have a Slack thread and that's all the, how did you hear about us is Chris on LinkedIn or Chris on this podcast, or maybe sometimes one of our employees. Just going back to the question of like content strategy, content is again, it's it's choices, it's channel choice, right? It's like, where's my audience exist? What are some of the formats that are just going to be most friendly towards in-feed consumption? Because that's where people are at right now. No matter, especially if you're going to do something with social, right? If you're going to use LinkedIn as a primary means or use Reddit as a primary means or use TikTok even or Instagram as a primary means of social media marketing, like it's all about in-feed consumption. So you need to be thinking about not like I have to drive clicks to the website or I have to drive ebook downloads or stuff like that. You have to think about these people are on LinkedIn. They want to stay on LinkedIn. It would take something so unique and compelling for them to click off of LinkedIn and go to it. And, and in, in reality, they probably wouldn't spend more than a few seconds on it. So think about crafting content that will be 
consumed in feed. So deconstructing your long form content, breaking it into smaller pieces, being very video for putting a face on your company, like utilizing your subject matter experts and, and elevating them. It's still, it's still a people to people transaction at the end of the day. They want to buy from someone that they trust, who they like what they say. So hiding behind a company logo is just secondary and it's you don't want to you don't want to be like one step removed from your customer like that at the end of the day especially in the age of remote work like even on zoom we still crave a face-to-face -face interaction like you and i are doing right now i think in terms of an organic content strategy we definitely lean people more towards what we call dark social and that's going to involve using social media, using MP consumption, using content formats that match that. And then looking for, in terms of a measurement standpoint, looking at that primary conversion path on your website and then measuring it all the way through, using self-report attribution to validate that with a positive signal. And we'll get more in attribution, I think, here in a little bit. And then looking at that as sort of validation for the strategy as a whole. So if I'm a CEO of one of these companies, particularly in SaaS, I think the go-to is you want to generate more demand and more sales. You hire more ER, SDR team members and go out and, and pound the pavement and do a lot of cold calling, cold emailing, et cetera. How does this new idea of demand creation and channels and content, all this play with that type of approach? There's a point at which scaling your BDR team is going to have a point of diminishing return. You can hire out a BDR function. You can have them do prospecting. But you look at all the means of prospecting that exist today. At one point, they were a growth hack. And now they're so overplayed that you I can't even stand it anymore, right? LinkedIn DMs with some sort of unique take on it, right? Like my LinkedIn in-mail is just filled with junk and bad pitches and unoriginal things and just whitewash Hey, saw your saw this, and then it's the connect and pitch. So, all these things that were once like really effective, even as recently as three four years ago, have now been so abused by BDR function writ large that it doesn't work anymore. And so, it's harder to be a BDR, I think, than almost any other function within an organization. It's thankless. It's hard. You get you face more rejection than anyone. Even the AE has a warm lead. <laughs> the BDR is just facing rejection day after day. And so the challenge is connecting on a human level as early as possible and then le leading that into a conversation before you even get into a product. Don't even worry about the product. Worry about the prospect at the end of the day and just almost not even think about what you're selling. So to me, the best thing that you could do with the BDR function now is let them work as a proxy for marketing and help evangelize the category. And then also by proxy, evangelize the brand. Use them to help spread your word, amplify your message, be an educational resource and not just like a, how quickly can I get you into a sales funnel? And then the other thing is like, being very original on channel choices. Like LinkedIn is so overplayed at this point as a means by which to reach out to some, you are almost better off going on Instagram or TikTok and trying something a little original and off the beaten path. Like your job as a BDR has got to be to stand out in a unique way when you reach out because like, it's just white noise at this point, man. People are just going to, no, I, I don't even want nothing to do with this company. And to me, that's how you would fit the BDR into the strategy is, like unique channel choices or as unique as possible. Like you have to be more cutting edge than almost anyone else. You have to be a first adopter in new channels. And then the other thing is like using them to help evangelize, like to help marketing. If you want to have them do the cold call, if you want to have them do the cold email, sure, there will be a place for that. 
but you need to have a couple variable sort of channels in order to try to, to get outreach done. And I think ultimately you're going to see a lot of those first adopter channels will probably net you better returns. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's good to mention that I've talked to so many marketers where BDR, SDR functions moving into marketing and going beyond hitting people up and, hey, can I get you in a, a demo? But more sharing content, building community, being an educational resource, I think is so important. And it's great you highlight that because I think that uh, approach is changing a lot. And what worked a few years ago is definitely today. Um, needing some change and needing those folks to be more of a resource rather than immediately hit you up in a LinkedIn DM and when can I have 15 minutes of your time and get you in a demo for this product? Absolutely. Let's touch on attribution. So this is a big thing when it comes to demand. How do you measure this? And then what, what does attribution look like? You mentioned dark social. I think every marketer is increasingly needing to be measured on pipeline they generate and all this, but that's getting harder to do, especially with all the different channels, all the different strategies, tactics, approaches. Yeah, I think one thing that we have to increasingly accept in marketing, because when digital marketing first came out, remember what was the grand promise of digital marketing? It was, you can measure everything, right? It's like everything. You can do an omni-channel approach and you can figure out all the ways people come here. And I think as we've gotten increasingly complex with digital marketing strategies um, and as privacy and regulation have come into play, the fact is that attribution or the promise of attribution is fundamentally flawed. And if we can accept this as a, as a function, we it actually frees us to do much more creative things and to think about measurement in a much more holistic way, which I think is where marketing is slowly shifting back to, which I'm happy about. But like it's gonna take it's gonna take vendors, it's gonna take software vendors moving away from it, it's gonna take leadership accepting it. And like that shift's gonna slowly happen over time. Like you're having to basically decondition people away from the promise of attribution, right? And so when we think about measurement, we look at it holistically and we think about it through two ways, high intent and low intent. And really, when you think about it that way, like that really gets to the, the, the root of how people come inbound to our company. So when you think about high intent channels, and high intent channels are not like website direct, organic search. High intent really comes down to, okay, what are the ways by which people are coming in to talk to our sales team? They're coming in through conversion paths, so forms. And then they're coming in through channels with from those conversion paths. So a high intent channel is going to be, I would consider, think about a vis-a-vis -vis your strategy. If my strategy is to use social as a primary means of content distribution, then when people are coming to my demo request and saying, I heard about you on LinkedIn or that, or I heard about you on Google ads, and they come through the demo request form conversion path, that's like high intent. Low intent would be like, I attended your webinar. I downloaded your ebook. I saw you at a trade show or content syndication from G2 or Forrester, right? And so that's like a low intent form of inbound. And you're going to see if you separate your efforts by intent, and these are things like software is not going to do for you. You have to literally sit there with a whiteboard or a Google sheet or whatever and bucket your high intent and low intent channels together or programs separately. And then build your attribution model off of that. 
the other thing you should do is use self-retribution. Let people tell you how do they hear about you, right? If you're doing a good job at demand creation, you're going to get a cornucopia of ways by which people find you. Like I found you via LinkedIn. You guys advertised on this podcast. I, I saw your CEO at a conference. Whatever it is, those are all good signals. And so I'm not looking at attribution as a single source of truth to validate what we're doing. I'm looking at it holistically to say, all right, what programs are we running where we are getting very positive signals from our high intent conversions? And what are we not getting in terms of positive signals from our high intent conversions? And that really helps to adjudicate program spend. And that's how we think about it. And then software attribution really at the end of the day is last touch. So what's the last way by which they came inbound to us? And that's going to be like, you're going to find branded organic, you're going to find website direct, you're going to find referral, you're going to find Google ads, and that's fine. That should tell you that those things are working the way that they should be. So think about attribution as a hybrid model. Think about it holistically and don't rely on just one source. Like really look at it as high intent, low intent, look at it by a conversion path, look at it by a program and then gr group it together as it should be. And that's gonna give you just a much better picture. There's no software out there that's gonna do that for you. You literally have to post process like in a Google sheet or an Excel sheet, but setting that attribution framework up properly in your Salesforce or your HubSpot or whatever you use is critical in helping to get that measurement done properly. Absolutely, yeah. I think even thinking of myself as a buyer, I might listen to a podcast a few times, see a lot of content on LinkedIn, never even like it or comment or anything. And then a month later, we need whatever the software is in that category. I'm looking around, I click on a pay-per-click and I'm like, this company, I remember them from the podcast and the content, whatever, let's talk to them. But it wasn't the actual pay-per-click that was the cause of my affinity and preferring this vendor. It was all the content and everything that I never even liked officially commented on or anything in those channels. So I think it's really important if you're looking at it very sim simply, you might say, oh, pay-per-click is getting all of our traffic. This is the channel, but it's actually those hidden channels. And that's the flaw of software attribution, right? That's why you need that. How did you hear about us form field on, on your high intent? So you can say, okay, so Google ads did its job, capture that person, exactly what we wanted to do. Great. Was it the only means by which they found us in the first place? And if you give yourself the opportunity to find that out using self-report attribution, you will be shocked because the fact is there's no linear buyer's journey anymore. That hypothesis has gone out the window. People buy in, in a myriad of different ways now. And there's different content pieces. There's different sources of information. There's different channels they go through in the discovery process. It's impossible to capture it all. You're just trying to capture as much of it as you can, again, to give positive signals and validate the programs that you're putting energy toward. As we're wrapping up here, one final thought and question is, we are in currently an interesting economic environment and there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. How do you create demand in our current environment? I think this is a funny question because I've been thinking a lot about growth and this isn't even something coming from us as a company per se. Growth is at the end of the day, a company initiative and not something that marketing is just supposed to magically spring fairy dust on. A sprinkle fairy dust on for the sales team or whatever, right? As a company at a large level, you need to decide how do we plan to grow this year 
as a company. And if that's whether that's through rolling out new products or whether that's through upsell, cross-sell and expansion with our existing accounts, like deciding what are the primary levers and means by which we're going to grow and then getting alignment across product, sales, CS, marketing is to me crucial. There's nothing marketing can do in a silo to grow a company. It has to be a company-wide agreement, initiative, and alignment. And then everyone can row in the same direction. Strategy becomes a lot easier when everyone is reading from the same sheet of music. And then we're all the orchestra of growth and all we have like brass and woodwinds and percussion out here as the different kind of functions within the company. But we ultimately all have to be playing from the same sheet of music as a company because the growth strategy has to be something that has alignment across each function. So when I think about growth, I think about it as a company initiative and not necessarily something that's just dependent on marketing. So when we think about marketing and demand generation itself, assuming the company has a growth strategy, at that point, it goes back to just basic fundamentals. We're predicating on customer research. We have to have a unique point of view. We have to be differentiated. We have to look at our messaging, message market fit, assuming we have product market fit. We really have to have a lot of scrutiny around our content. Like we cannot just mail it in on content. Content is the lubricant by which everything else works in demand, whether you're capturing or creating. If your content doesn't work to grease the wheel of demand, it all kind of screeches to a halt. So if you think you're going to create demand without having a really dynamite, effective content strategy behind it, you're sorely mistaken. You cannot grow just through spending 50K a month on ads or doing content syndication with G2. Like you have to have a strong in-house content strategy. Like content is more important than ever because there's more of it than ever and most of it sucks. So if you can have content that doesn't suck, that is unique, and that is about quality and not quantity, you can end up, you can get there and you can win. Absolutely. Well, Matt, I totally agree. It was great to have you on and thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, insight, viewpoint here. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Brad.